Acts 14, verse 19. Have any of you ever had anyone hurt you? Ever have someone do something that you didn't expect them to do? Yeah? Have you ever invested time into someone just to have them walk away? Yes. Have you ever just been frustrated with people? I've never been there. Ever in my entire life. I'll be at the altar tonight <clears throat> confessing my sin of lying. There's no doubt in my mind that Paul and Barnabas could have gotten to this point or this thought process in their life, just genuinely frustrated with people. And I think this is just the beginning of their ministry, and so that's usually when it can happen. <clears throat> but they are in Lystra, if you'll remember from last week. They're in Lystra, and they have just healed a lame man who had been lame in his feet for his entire life. They've just been set up as gods, and they have just denied that they were at all any part of deity. But the very next thing that we see is found here in verse 19. So I hope you'll pick up the story with me here in verse 19. The Bible says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Wonderful. Just exciting, isn't it? Verse 20, Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derby. By the way, I love that. It just seems so nonchalant, doesn't it? If you were reading this passage, you would easily skip over the fact that Paul was stoned, so much so that all the men around him thought he was dead. In fact, after all the dust cleared, the disciples are all standing around him, and he just gets up and walks back into the city, and the next day they depart to Derby. Like, no hospital visit, no doctor, nothing. Just pops up like a daisy, and off he goes. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. I'd like to preach to you a message that I've simply entitled, The Work of the Ministry. The Work of the Ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Again, I pray that this wouldn't be a waste of our time, but Father, a very good use of it. Help us to understand what it means to work for you, what it means to give our lives to you, and the great joy that will come from it. Father, we love you so much. It is our reasonable service to give our lives back to you because you died on the cross for our sins. And I pray that you'd help us to keep focused on that. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Somehow in the work of the ministry or in the Christian life, <clears throat> we have gotten into our heads that everyone will listen to us. Right? Okay, maybe not. We think that everyone should take our advice and run with it, right? 
We think that. Somehow we think that everyone, um, that everyone we think, everyone would think, excuse me, that we are the wisest person in the world. And when someone doesn't go with that, it upsets us. My wife will often ask my advice. Not on anything major because she doesn't trust me that much. <clears throat> but she'll, she'll ask my advice on some things and I'll give it. And what, honestly, whatever I say, she will do the opposite. Just mark it down. She'll come to me with two options. I'll give her my opinion on this certain option and she will go the other direction. It just happens. And when that happens, I, I get frustrated. Like, why do you even ask me? We do this all the time. We get frustrated with people. Listen, in the work of the ministry especially, we think that everybody ought to listen to us, don't we? I mean, we have the good news of Jesus Christ. We obviously think that everybody ought to listen to us, and I wouldn't argue with you. However, we must understand that not everyone is going to listen. We must go into it thinking, listen, there will be people who don't listen. That doesn't mean we start every conversation with doubt and thinking that they'll never think that God is God. But we must be cognizant of that fact. Not everybody will listen. But understand this, everybody listening or not listening is not the measure of our success. Let me say that again. People listening to us to about the gospel or the ministry is not the measure of success. We do not go, uh, we should not be going just to count how many people have listened or count how many people have, who have gotten saved or count how many people are in our church. That should not be the measure of success. So I want to look this evening at five aspects of ministering. Five aspects of ministry. And it's how you view these will tell if you will be effective in your ministry or not. How you view these five things will tell how you, if you will be effective in ministry or not. The first one is the most exciting, persecution. Everybody gets excited about this. They just go jumping up and down. I can't wait to be persecuted for Christ's sake. Nobody says that except for Paul. Let's look at this, verse 19 again. The Bible says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the people. Having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. It's pretty obvious here that Paul is persecuted. Paul is literally stoned, just like he watched Stephen be stoned, almost to the point of death. Everybody around him, as we said before, thought he was dead. I want you to understand this. In the work of the ministry, persecution will always come. Persecution will always come. Let's go to 2 Timothy. I can tell you don't believe me, so let's go over there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. Realize that this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Watch this. The Bible says, but thou, being Timothy, hast fully known my, being Paul, doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Watch this in verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at what? Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra. 
This is the same three cities that we're talking about right here in Acts chapter 14. What persecutions I endured. Watch. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. If you are going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer some sort of persecution. Well, the question I hope you're asking is why? Why do we suffer persecution? Go back to John chapter 15 with me. John chapter 15 is known as the abiding chapter. Jesus speaking, talking to his disciples, talking about he and God being one. And if we will abide in him, he will abide in us. But I want you to jump down to verse 18. The Bible says this. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you, watch this, out of the world. Therefore, because of that, the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Watch this now, verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you, why? For my name's sake. Because they know not him that sent me. Do you know why persecution happens? Very simply, persecution happens because it goes against, it's the complete opposite of the way of the world. The world is heading one direction, and if you will live godly, righteousness is heading in the other direction. Righteousness does not go along with the world. In fact, the Bible talks about there's a, a wide way or a broad way and a narrow way. I believe they go in two different directions. I believe that they're completely separate things. Persecution is present because godliness is against the way of the world. Righteousness is not going the same way. We are talking about the difference between light and darkness. We're talking about the difference between life and death. They're that opposite. They're that far apart. They, if the world, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But it's because that we are different. It's because that Jesus chose us out of the world and pulled us into life that we are different than they are. And that's why we suffer persecution. This point alone has deterred more people than I care to admit. There's people that have suffered, uh, if you will, some sort of persecution. You might not agree with the varying form of the persecution. You might say that's too small to lose your faith over, but I've seen it time and time and time again. People walking away. The problem here in North America is we do not experience anything close to what the apostles did here in the book of Acts and on. Nothing close. How many of you have ever been stoned before? How many of you have ever had a rock, one pebble thrown at you because you're a Christian? Not even. I mean, I got rocks thrown at me when I was a kid, but that was just because I was dumb. Not one of us, because we're a Christian, has anything thrown at us. Paul is being stoned, not with just little rocks, with big rocks that people can barely lift up. And they're tossing them on him, trying to kill him for what he's doing. 
We don't experience anything like this. And nor, nor do any of us want to. As I said this morning, we get into this comfortable and all of us have this, this uh, theory, this lofty mindset of just living our life in comfort. So most of us at this point, most of us just throw in the towel. Listen, if all that live, will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, then I'm out. I'm not going down that road. Not going to have anything to do with this. It's not worth it. I don't want to be scared of being stoned my entire life. I don't want people to hate me. I don't want people to look at me like I'm some sort of loser. That's the way we think. We think these things and we try to justify it almost. But Paul went well beyond looking like a loser. And almost lost his entire life. Just for the sake of the gospel. But I want you to notice something with me in verse 20. Watch this. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. This Paul is so dumb that he gets stoned inside the city. They drag him out of the city and he rises up and walks back into the city. You don't think those Jews are still there? You don't think those Jews are watching what's going on? You don't think, what in the world? If we can't kill them once, maybe we'll try again and we'll get them again. I don't know what Paul was thinking. All I know is God had something to do with this. Paul is not dead. He just gets back up. And the next day, as I said before, they just go to Derby. But I want you to notice the second point that brings about the second point, And that's steadfastness. If you're going to be effective in the work of the ministry, you must have steadfastness. Look at Paul's attitude toward these persecutions. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and jump down to verse 23. The Bible says this. Save that the Holy Ghost, uh, let's actually look at verse 22 with me. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He just didn't know. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So he says, I don't know what's coming. However, the Holy Spirit has told me that bonds and afflictions will be there. That's all I know. Okay, so it doesn't matter what's coming, I just know this. But he says in verse 24, but none of these things move me. Look at his attitude. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I don't care about my life. He says, I just want to finish that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, he just, his attitude, he didn't care about his life. He didn't care that he just got stoned. He didn't care that he had bumps and bruises. He didn't care that he had cuts and probably broken bones. He didn't care. He just said, I count not my life dear because I want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward. God called me to do something and I'm going to remain steadfast. It doesn't matter. None of these things move me. I'm just going to keep going on. We talked a little bit about love 
on Wednesday night. If you don't come to our Wednesday night class, you're missing all, all of it. Everything good happens on Wednesday night. Nothing good happens Sunday morning or Sunday night. It all happens on Wednesday night. I'm joking. Uh, you guys need to wake up a little bit. Talk about love. How charity never faileth. It doesn't stop. It, it, the, 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 the terminology there is that it's never swayed. You can hit it with a ton of bricks. You can hit it with a semi-truck. You can hit it with whatever you want, but you can't push it off course. That's Paul. Why? Because Paul loved Jesus Christ so much that he remained steadfast, unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. If you want to be effective in ministry, you have to remain steadfast. There's going to be times where you just don't want to. There's going to be times where you hurt. There's going to be times where people upset you. There are going to be times where people follow you around from city to city trying to persecute you. There's going to be times. But if your attitude is one of, I don't care about my life. See, the problem is we do, don't we? The problem is we're selfish. The problem is I want to live my life in comfort. The problem is I want to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. And I have some worldly, fleshly things that I want to accomplish. And if I'm doing God's work, I can't accomplish those things. Let's just call it what it is. It's pride. And it's sinful. And if we're too scared to do this, then we will never be effective in ministry. I want to show you the third point. It's very simply trust. Trust. Look with me in chapter 14, verse They go through all these cities again, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, and they confirm the souls and they begin to encourage them. Verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, again, very important, watch this, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. These people in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, they had already believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are already saved. They already know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we, as we saw in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. These people know Christ. They've been converted. And so Paul is the traveling missionary. And you know what Paul does? Paul brings other men. He says, listen, you need to be the pastor of this church. And he sets them up as a pastor and he begins to go through things with them and he begins to encourage them and exhort them. And then all of a sudden with prayer and fasting, you know what he does? He literally, watch, turns them over to God. He commends them to God. He entrusts their life to God. I love this. How much do you trust God? How much do you trust God? Let me ask you, how much are you willing to give him? How much are you willing to entrust to his care? We quote the verse all the time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. We quote that. And it's a nice verse and it makes us feel better. And, and it, it's not something that we ought to throw around flippantly. But listen, we, we say the verse, but we, do we truly understand it? Do we truly do it? 
Do we truly cast our care upon him? Because he careth for us. Do we truly trust Christ? Let me ask you parents. Do you trust Christ with your kids? Let me ask you young adults. Do you truly trust Christ with your future? Let me ask you kids. Do you truly trust God in your parents? A lot of times we don't. A lot of times we want to force people to do things. There's a time in my life where I thought that I needed to force people to do things. Not so much in a bad way, but in in a good, encouraging way. Let me tell you exactly how. I thought that anytime anybody in our church went through something bad, that I needed to be there every time, all the time. No, just look across the room tonight. What is there, maybe 80 people here tonight? Maybe. Now, you tell me how one person is going to be everywhere all at once. And listen, if I can, I will be there. But let's face it, I can't be there all the time. And by the way, what a disgusting, haughty thought that you people need me. Isn't that, that disgusts me. That I would think of myself so highly that I could bring you comfort. But let's be honest. That's my heart. That's what I want to do. But the reality of the situation is this. There will be times that I can be there. There will be times after I leave that I am gone because I'm not there anymore. But there is a person who can be there all the time. There is a person who will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's not a human being. You know who that is? That's the Holy Spirit of God. And you know who the Holy Spirit of God is? The comforter. I don't even have any comfort to bring outside of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job. So I had to learn as a very young minister, this is early on, I had to learn that it's not about me, number one. And number two, I will not be effective if that's my goal in ministry. So from that day forward, the Lord convicted me and said, why don't you just start praying for people? Why don't you just start, here it is, commending them to me? Why don't you let me take care of it? Why don't you let me be there? Why don't you let me be there all in all? Why don't you let me be their refuge and their strength, their very present help in trouble? Why don't you let me be their first call? And I thought, well, that's a good idea. Because let's face it, I will fail you, and I will fail you, and I will fail you, and I will fail you. I don't want to. I did it to somebody already this year. Feels like a knife stuck in my stomach. But you know what? I couldn't be there. But there was somebody there. God was there. Listen, How much do you entrust to God? There are things that you just cannot do. There are things that you have to allow God to do. It would be easy for Paul to just stay there in those cities, be their pastor, be their shepherd. But you realize that's not what God called him to do. 
God did not call him to do that, so he ordained elders in every church. And then he commended them not to the elders, he commended them to God. You see, there's so much in my life personally that I try to control. There's so much in my, even my ministry that I try to control. But I have to realize that it's not this person who builds God's church. It's God who builds God's church. And it's not you who builds your ministry. It's God. There will be times in your ministry that you won't be able to control a certain child. There will be times where you won't be available to sit and attend someone's every, meet, every need. There will be times that you don't know how to give comfort. It's in those times. Listen, cast them upon God. Commit them, commend them to the Lord because they've already believed on him. They already are trusting in him for their pers- personal salvation for eternity. They are trusting in his capable hands for that. Cast them upon God. It's a pretty big day when I realized that God loves you people more than I do. I love and I want to be there for everything. I want to I help, but God loves you far more than I do. Let's face it, I probably won't give up my only son for you. But God did. He loves you far more than I could ever so we need to trust these people to his care parents with children listen God can take care of them God can bring them back God can God can God can but he needs to see number four we need to see faithfulness faithfulness when you are trusting God to the to care for these things we just need to remain faithful just need to remain faithful just need to remain faithful look at verse 26 after they go to these other cities thence sailed to Antioch they go back to where they came from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled Paul and Barnabas head back to Antioch where they were first called and sent from. This is not the first time they've been there again. They kind of just make a short circuit on this first missionary journey. They don't go all that far. But notice with me the last word of this verse. I want you to see this word. It's fulfilled. Fulfilled. And thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God. Watch this. For the work which they had fulfilled. Here's your success. They had fulfilled, they had literally fulfilled the work that God had called them to do. The Bible said it, not me. The Bible says that they fulfilled what God had called them to do. You mean that they had accomplished everything that God wanted to them to accomplish? Yes. You mean to say that even though they got stoned and there were people that were persecuting them and there were people that didn't listen and only half the city of Lystra came to Christ and only half of this people and this, that, and the other thing happened and this city they couldn't even get into. You mean to say that they accomplished something for Christ? And all that God had, accompl- had wanted them to? Yes. 
because it's not about what they accomplished. It's not about all that, that the, the numbers and, and the metrics that you think you want to accomplish in your life. It's not about that. It's measured by faithfulness. It's just measured by faithfulness. Again, we often measure success by how many people listen to us. Listen, I'll be dead honest with you. The more people that come to this church, the better I feel about myself. But it has nothing to do with me. The more people that I get to preach to, the better it is and the more exciting it is. And, and it's wonderful And because we, we judge things by numbers and by, by again, certain metrics. That's not about what it is. If you compare our church to a church in the Philippines, we would be a startup church. I mean, the Philippines is going nuts. People are coming to Christ like crazy. Listen, and then you go to like Norway or England or something like that where you can't hardly see somebody saved once a year. I mean, there are certain places. So listen, you can't judge things by numbers. It's by faithfulness. And Paul and Barnabas, God showed them wonderful, amazing things that they could do. But no matter what, they stayed faithful. No matter what, through the persecution, they remained faithful. They remained steadfast. And they fulfilled the work that God had called them to. I don't care who you are. I don't care what I do in my life. I really don't. I want to get to heaven and hear, well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. Not good and successful servant. Not good and most numbers servant. No, 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 no. Good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Because of faithfulness. Listen, if you want to be effective in ministry, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't get frustrated with the people around you. Don't get frustrated when somebody walks away. Don't get frustrated when you've discipled and spent time and worked hard and this kid just won't behave and you have to tell him he can't come back anymore. Whatever it might be and you just work and work and work and that never seems to come through. Just stay faithful. Just stay faithful. That's what God is looking for. If your perspective is this, just to please God in all things. If that's your perspective, if that's all you want to do is just please God in all things, look at what you get. Number five, praise. Number five is praise. Look at verse 27. This is what you get. And when they were come... And had gathered the church together. Watch this. They rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. I read this verse and it's almost as if everything that happened was exciting. Everything. The good and the quote unquote bad. The stoning the imprisonment, all of those things, they rehearsed to these people and they were exciting. They were completely thrilled with what God had done. Because it wasn't about a metric being gained. 
It was about completing the task that God had called them to do. But notice with me, again, their view of the entire thing. Listen, it's all in how you view things. You can do the same thing but have the wrong view. Look at their view. Look again at verse 27. Gathered the church together. They had rehearsed all that God had done. Notice these next two words. With them. Are you kidding me? God had done with them. It wasn't about what they had done for God. Do you see that? Oh, you guys are going to have to wake up a little bit. Watch. It wasn't about what they had done for God. God doesn't care what you do for him. He wants to do something with you. God doesn't need you. God wants you. God wants to do something with you. And it's not about what God allowed them to even do. It's what God was doing with them. I believe their perspective was this, if I can boil it down just a little bit. Here's my life. Take and use it. Use it any way you please. You want to rub us in the dirt and let stones be tossed on us? That's great. We'll get back up. We'll go back into the city. And we'll praise your name for allowing us to do so. You, you want to allow us to see half the city come to know you? That's great. We will do that. And we will praise your name for allowing us to do so. You want to allow half the city to not get saved? That's great. And we will praise your name for allowing us to do so. Listen, if your perspective is just, I want to do what God wants me to do, and that's it. I don't care about anything else. Then you get this point. You get to praise all the time. Look at what God did with me. Look at what God did with us. Listen, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am weak, meek, excuse me, and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Why? Because he's walking with us. He's there with us, in that whole time, you just get to praise God and praise God and praise God and praise God. And you get to rehearse it in front of all these people. God had taken them as a vessel and it was meat for the master's use. It was meat. When that is our perspective, we get to praise God for every part, good and perceived bad. But I want to show you something in chapter 16 that I hope will help you just a little bit. Remember this persecution, the stoning happened in Lystra. And then they went to Derbe. Look at verse, chapter 16 and verse 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra. The guy is that ridiculous that he goes back again. But look at this. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. I want you to just picture something with me. I want you to picture the Apostle Paul being stoned, tossed out of the city after he, you know, miraculously denied being deity. 
And I want you to imagine what you would do. I want you to imagine what I would do. Most of us, if we're human and we listen to our flesh at all, we'd get back up into that city and we might just tear a strip off them. Yell and scream and give them a piece of our mind, so to speak. And, and, or maybe we just walk away and say, I'll never preach ever again. I'll just throw in the towel. I'll just give up. Do you think, actually I know, I know the answer to this. Paul would have never written, written first and second Timothy. Paul would have never had an influence in his life. Paul would have never gone back to Derby and Lystra. Hear me, you never know whose life you're going to affect. I don't even know if Paul knew about Timothy at this time. We don't know. We don't know if in Acts chapter 14, Paul already knew about Timothy. But this I do know. In Acts chapter 16, they meet. And he's well reported of. And now Paul is able to continue to train the next generation. Will you be an effective minister? The work of the ministry is not easy. But it is what God has called you to do. I believe every person in this church has been placed in this body for a reason. Every one of you has a work to do. You have to figure out what that is. And you have to do it no matter what, no matter persecution. Just remain steadfast. Just trust them to God. Don't let them go by the wayside without praying for them. And trust them to God. Remain faithful no matter what happens. And I guarantee you'll be able to praise God for all that's said and done. Are you willing to give your life to God so that he can use it as he sees fit? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity. Pray that you'll continue to